0: a marketing team of just growing like uh, you know triple the number of people in the marketing team in the last couple of years so there's a huge um, Im- amount of importance you know that people need to understand one what's available to them mm-hmm. um, but two to understand that we're the leaders we, we lead with excellence and that all comes down to giving people that shop front understanding giving people mm-hmm. um, you know the, the social media understanding so everything that comes through them is huge because if people don't know what we're
1: offering then you know we,
0: we're going to be doing treatments behind the doors that people have no understanding about.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, wake up! Welcome to Wake Up With Focus, your home to learn all things digital, marketing, content, branding, and business development, finding out what's gold and what's old in the world of digitalization. Hear from industry leaders and discover how to market to those who matter most to your business. With your host, founder of Focus Recruitment and Focus Media, Belinda Agnew.
2: Once again, welcome to Wake Up With Focus and today we're chatting to Dr. Jonathan Hopkirk. You might recognise Dr. Hopkirk as the Global Medical Director for Laser Clinics Australia, where he's responsible for ensuring optimal quality and consistency across 160 stores in Australia, New Zealand and UK but he's also the founder for an incredible initiative called Dance for Abilities, a non-for-profit organization that creates social interactions for adults with intellectual disabilities. Dr. Hopkirk, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me here. Wake
2: Up With Focus. Here We're we excited are. to have day, you. Every day. Um, so let's jump in. Who is Jonathan for people that don't know?
0: Mm, sometimes I ask myself. Um, <laughs> every day you've got to ask those questions. But no, I started way back in New Zealand. Yeah. A uh, place called Rotorua. It's a smelly place. Not sure if you've been. Smell, actually smelly because of the thermal energy. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of thermal okay. energy in Rotorua. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so we heated our pool as kids um, using the thermal energy under the ground. Okay. Phenomenal. off piece, I know, but so all the way from Rotorua. And uh, then I actually ended up going to boarding school in Scotland. Okay. When I was like 11, 12, um, put my hand up to get some sort of exchange program and ended up going over to Scotland, then bounced back to New Zealand. And then finally ended up in Australia where uh, I went to med school actually down in Wollongong.
2: And oh, nice! Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I went down. And we loved the gong. So I was in the gong. Um, is that what
2: we call it here? This
0: is what they say. So when in I Sydney? when I was yeah, we love the gong. So there's oh, like shit. Big I need to get onto this. There's big signpost that has got we heart the gong. No,
2: and yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So that was what hooked me. No, <laughs> so Aussie. <laughs> so I um yes, yeah, so I did four years of my study in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and then got into uh, post med post post grad med school here, mm-hmm. and ended up in Wollongong then moved to London at the end of my training, finished my medical training off there, back into Australia, did the hospital system for a couple of years, but I always had this appetite for the cosmetic industry for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like NipTuck growing up as a program. I always just thought there was a nice balance of fun, you know, drama, probably not as much medicine as a, as a doting doctor would want in their life, but it was like an interesting industry to me. So I, when I was in the hospital, Just started looking at cosmetic injectables, started a cosmetic business myself, trained up a couple of doctors. And then I thought, well, what's the best way to get great at your craft? Just high volume, do a lot of it. And I thought, well, who's the biggest? And then I saw laser clinics were obviously pumping and this was 2015, I think at the time. Okay. Yeah. So in Wollongong, I joined the laser clinics there and then just high volume I was doing after hours after the hospital. So I'd finished at the hospital. Then I'd go into the clinic, inject in the evening. Then I'd go in on Saturdays, inject all day on Saturday. Then when I finished in the hospital after two years, I um, then just went full-time, cosmetic injectables, about six days a week. And then just bit by bit, I think right place, right time, have just sort of taken on various roles with the company and it's just gotten bigger and bigger and now it's huge.
2: So what's your role now at Laser Clinics?
0: Yeah, so I started as the medical director when we were just based in Australia in 2018. And now that we've gone globally, we're in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. uh, UK. Mm -hmm. So it's now it's a global medical director role. So I basically try and coordinate the medical teams um, and the medical function of the company in those countries.
2: Nice. And do you enjoy it?
0: I love it. That's I good. Absolutely love it. So good. Yeah. You
2: look like a laser clinic's person because you're so like clean and fresh. And
0: it's amazing what cosmetic injectables can do for you. <laughs> I'm actually 70. It's just holding me together.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> cool. That's a cool backstory. Mm. And I guess when going into uh, studying and whatnot, because a lot of people say. Uh, Get rid of uni and get rid of college because it's a waste of time. I'm sure you've heard this over and over mm. and over again, especially in entrepreneurial world. You studied before off the show. You said eight years mm, Yeah, eight years. at uni? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's such a long time. So what kept you going in that time? Like I'm sure there was moments where you're like, this is really taking me a long time. I should go get a
0: job. <laughs> yeah, there was. There was those frustrations where you had – you know, like no money. Your yeah. your brothers were spotting you. Yeah, you the anxiety when you're sitting at a table with everyone having dinner who's the same age because you you don't know if you're gonna be able to chip into the bill. And you know, so you just you gotta remember all those people that have spotted you along the way and then it comes back in spades when you've finished uni. But um yeah, it was it was a period where for the first three for the first two years I didn't really have a whole lot of understanding around what I wanted to do. I sort of just followed. The, the usual trajectory of people who went to school. At the time, it was like, well, then you go to uni. You do a gap year, then you go to uni. So I ended up at uni, I wanted to play for the All Blacks. So I was just training, 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 just playing rugby, that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, kept getting injuries, realized I probably wasn't gonna make the, the dream of every other boy in New Zealand. So I was like, okay, well, I need to do something. Like- And um I failed physics, failed getting into physiotherapy. And then my brother had this grand idea. I remember distinctly remember talking to him on the phone and he goes, Why don't you try and become a doctor? And I was like, What? Are you serious? Are you mad? I failed getting into physio, which is like a you know, 60% average to get into physio. And I failed physics, I failed this, so I'm not gonna get into into medicine. And I really loved his um his backing and he was just like, Well, do you believe that you would like to be a doctor? It wasn't even if you can do you believe that you would like to be a doctor? Would it be something that you would really enjoy? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, heck yeah. And he was like, well, then just find a way. There'll be a way to do it. And um, fortunately I had a few very smart friends that were trying to get in post-grad. So I just sort of tagged along when they went to the library i went to the library when they studied i studied when they went to a course i went to a course um of course i went to the bar afterwards but um (laughs) you have to celebrate short wins along the way but i i then just modeled what they were doing and just did everything i could to apply those same principles from work ethic with sport Mm -hmm. you know which i was happy to sort of wake up at five and train hard for sports i was like well if you want to be a doctor you wake up and you train for being a doctor at five, so you study. So it's a new work ethic shift. So mm-hmm. then I just grinded in this new space and then ended up getting into medicine in Wollongong. And then, as I said, flew across the ditch and, and did the other four years. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of doubt there for a while because I was like, what on earth am I going to get with this 50 grand student loan in New Zealand? A Bachelor of Anatomy, I'm going to end up just being in the labs with a lab coat for the rest of my life. And I, it freaked me out. But um. Yeah, medicine served me well. It's been a great, great occupation. It's been good fun.
2: Of course. Now look at you.
0: I'm having fun. I'm enjoying life.
2: Laser clinics is like the, are they one of the largest or the largest in
0: Australia? We are the largest now in the world of its type. So we have 180 clinics, go. Have about 180 clinics across the three networks. It's, crazy. Um, it's huge. In 2008, I think it started with two clinics. When I started in 2015, 16, it was about 70 clinics. So the growth has been huge. Wow. Huge, huge, huge growth.
2: And was there any investors along the way or were so they... it, was,
0: it was privately backed to begin with by mm-hmm. um, two gents, mm-hmm. um, really smart entrepreneurial guys, mm-hmm. uh, Bobak and Alastair, And then they got bought by KKR, massive private equity company from the States, uh, two, three years ago. So that's what's really guided um, you know, huge amounts of expansion and acquisition. Mm. Now we recently acquired Dr. Robux, uh, which is a cosmeceutical range. Um, we've already obviously got Skin Institute that sort of works hand in hand with laser clinics, yeah. but yeah, they, um, KKR have, you know, put a huge amount of resources behind the company, which has just aided in that expansion.
2: And uh, with laser clinics, when you say it's the biggest in the world, mm. so they were bought out how long ago? The two, Three years three ago. ago. Yeah, three years ago. Can you mention how much they got bought out?
0: Yeah, it was publicly it was publicly known. It was like six hundred and fifty million.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, was, yeah. So six hundred fifty
0: mil um, was the with the buying price at the time, and um, yeah, it's just gone from strength to strength since.
2: And tell us about so laser clinics. You are kind of in the mix of that, and it's growing amazingly, and it's one of the biggest in the world of its kind. How did you come about Dance for Abilities? Because I know this is mentioned a few times and it's a non-for-profit organization. Mm. So I really want to talk about that and like what's the purpose behind this? Because I feel like it's really purposely driven.
0: Mm,
2: mm. Um, so tell us how did that come about and why is it so important to you?
0: Mm. Yeah, it's my why. It's like, you know, we, it was it was funny last weekend, the weekend before I sat around with a group of friends. And now like, anyone who knows me knows that I like to get pretty deep. And like mm-hmm. to unpack, you know, people's why and why we're here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's nothing wrong with vulnerability and and all these sorts of things. So we're sitting there and we're just talking about our why and, and me, simply put, my why is to help people that are either in a less fortunate position for whatever reason mm-hmm. or misfortunate with their health. So that's the whole doctor mm-hmm. thing. Um, or just, you know, need some help in some way. And so mm-hmm. and that's really my purpose. I I have most fire in my belly when i'm helping people and it's got absolutely nothing to do with my own gains you know it's just there's just something phenomenal about that feeling when you're helping people you just you you leave this footprint on the earth which is bigger than your own it's a phenomenal feeling so for me it was really a close to home project because i've got a sister with down syndrome and i grew up from a young age she's one year older than me we've got two older brothers as well and I'm the youngest. So I would go through school, seeing her get bullied, see her miss out on birthdays, see her not get invited to social events because of her disposition. And it really gave me the shits and, and it really hurt me deep as a brother because I would hate myself getting invited, but I couldn't take her along. Or we would mm. go to a New Year's Eve party and you're leaving your sister who's the same age um, at home, you know, to have a cup of tea with mum, And it would just, it would just broke my heart. And so, for me and my brothers, we just thought, well, you know let's let's try and change it." So we started taking her along to these events, and it was really crazy to see the dynamic. People were amazed and really endorsing of her being there. She loved it, and it was just this beautiful dynamic as it just sort of broke down any labels and and misunderstandings around the institutionalized viewpoint of people with disabilities. So I was like, "Oh, there's something in that." So then I thought um, I was going through through a little bit of like a a quarter life crisis. Had done the whole cosmetic doctor thing. Was probably quite I can safely say egotistical. (laughs) You know, I'd I'd sort of spent twenty years of building up this huge cloak of you know ego. Armor because you didn't feel enough inside from something that happened in your childhood. Typical mm-hmm. story of a lot of people. But I recognized that and I thought, well, you know, you're doing all the stuff for yourself. That's why you don't feel great because you're not doing anything for anyone else. So why don't we actually put some time and investment and effort into doing something for someone else? So I thought, well, who better to do it for than your sister? So I thought, let's. Do something where she has an opportunity to be included because of her disposition, not excluded, included. Mm-hmm. let's turn that around and flip it on its head. Mm. so I was doing some research, and I thought okay well there's some there's some great um you know great opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities to do things in smaller groups. Mm-hmm but there was nothing like you could go to a nightclub where it was everyone there had a learning difficulty or, a, or an intellectual disability. So I thought, okay, well, let's, let's just see if there's there's an appetite for it. And so I did a lot of ringing around, was ringing all the, the community houses and was doing research and I found out that there was definitely some appetite for it. And then it was like, well, okay, is there funding for it? Couldn't really tap into the funding, so we've just funded it privately and through group fund pages. So I thought, okay, let's just, let's just go all out and just try one party and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So we um, fortunately through my brother and actually the marketing team at Laser Clinics helped, which was awesome. Um, Nicole, she was fantastic. She was a head of marketing at the time. So we got a lot of media behind it, had the project, had the Huffington Post, ABC News, all these big, you know, big guys behind it, which was cool and it brought a lot of awareness to the importance of it. Mm. And we threw this party for like 200 people at Revisi's in Bondi. And I just saw, we flew my sister over, little rock star, she like sort of got decked out and, you know, new clothes and she just felt like the center of attention and she was and it was so cool to see her go from, you know, this this time when we were kids where she was getting, you know, looked at differently and Mm. treated differently to then her being the star of the show It was like the best feeling ever. And then um, we arrived at the event and she was, it was just glitz and glam. We had, we had um, hair and, and makeup artists so people could come early and have their hair and makeup done. Yeah. And then we had like goodie bags, prizes, like the community really got behind it, which was cool. Um, and so it was a really special moment because I just saw that there was, there was the need for it mm-hmm. and there was the enjoyment from everyone that came. So I was like, we have to do this again. We can't not do this again. So from there, we're just like, all right, let's commit to doing three a year. You know, try on the back of everything else I was doing at the time. Let's do three a year. Yeah,
2: right. And then
0: we merged. Well, then we went to New Zealand. My brother and and his fiance, George, launched it in New Zealand. And it's been remarkable. New Zealand have done some f- incredible things. Like they did the first ever um, inclusive New Zealand fashion show um, segment with mm-hmm. Nine individuals with intellectual disabilities walked the catwalk, with like representing fourteen of New Zealand's leading labels, and it was called Living Colour. So we did this whole show. I can't say we. I wasn't. I was there enjoying it, but the team in New Zealand put it on.
2: Yeah, right. But
0: it was phenomenal. Everyone walking the catwalk. We couldn't get my sister off. Um, but That's yeah, amazing. it was it was really really yeah. cool. So it's just pushing the boundaries with. So our, our main why is like okay. Obviously, we want to help people with intellectual disabilities have opportunities to be included included socially, but also to have an opportunity to feel like they're a rock star, Mm. you know, because they are rock stars. But to get that opportunity where they can do what you and I would enjoy and sometimes take for granted, catch up with their friends, have a beer, fall in love, maybe get engaged. We've had all these sorts of things happen. And I think there's, like I said, a misconception from the public that, you know, they Mm, don't do these things. They just burn around in vans and, and gray tracksuit suits, and that's what they do. So it's nice that... You know, these guys get an opportunity to get glitzed, glammed, come and have a beer, enjoy, meet new friends and have a great time and expand their own social network. So that's that's basically why we do it. And it's really special.
2: That's amazing. Mm. And like, it's really interesting to say that you are now transparent about saying that you did have an ego side to you.
0: It's hugely, yeah.
2: Not it's many huge. people can own up to that. Absolutely. So that's amazing. And when did you know that you were this egotistic mm. person mm. and like, can you tell me about, like, that's really interesting yeah. to me. Like, can you tell me about the transition? Like Absolutely. what triggered you or was there something that happened yeah. where you're like, holy shit, yeah. like I've got everything, but I'm satisfied,
0: yeah. fuck. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's exactly what happened. So <laughs> to unpack it, and I think it's important. Um, I think it is really important to sort of, ask yourself the questions of why you are a certain way. Yeah. So I was sitting there age 30, you know, had on paper all, all the things that I'd been gunning for, I was, you know, working as the medical director, I was living in the middle of Bondi Campbell Parade and had all of these things, but I just felt miserable. And I just I just had this breakup with this girl that I really liked at the time. And, and I was just like, I remember my brother came over and he was just like, wow, I've never seen you so low. You need, you know, like and, and in all fairness, it was just his way of wanting to see me get better. But he's like, you just need to move on. You need to get over it. You just need to move forward. And there was a part of me that was like, no, 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 there's something bigger than this. I need to sit in the shit and understand why I'm feeling so miserable. Because if you try and get around it, you try and get over it, you try and, um, you know, find some way to negate having, actually having to feel the suffering, then you don't get any growth out of it. So I was like, I'm going to sit in the shit and just do a little bit of self-research and try and understand why I'm feeling like this. And it was amazing over the next three years, I just unpacked it more and more. And I realized, because I was having like quite, you know, I was being quite angry at times as well. And I was like, wow, you know, where is this coming from? And I realized that a lot of it was just, you know, from my childhood, mm. I had, um, you know, my, my parents split up at a at a relatively young age. Uh, my mom, um, she moved away. And then if you're listening, mom, love you. Annie, she's a gorgeous woman. So she moved away. My brothers got sent to boarding school. My sister got sent to boarding school. And my whole life just turned a massive 180 degree spin. Yeah, right. And then I was sat there with my dad who was building a new business (laughs) and now working really hard. Um, So didn't see him as much as, you know, I would have liked to have as a nine-year-old boy at the time. And I was just like, I think just really hurt. And so Mm -hmm. I carried this hurt with me for a whole period of my childhood and then into my adulthood. And where you have hurt, you can sometimes have anger. So my way of dealing with the hurt was, was anger because I was just angry at the world. I was like, you know, pissed off. Why could this happen to me? Everything mm. was good. I had my family, had my friends, had this beautiful home. And now I'm not, I don't have those things immediately in my life. So I was so pissed off. Mm. Um, and then within that, I, th- you know, having read quite a few books now and gotten more of an understanding around these things, I think I I live the typical, if I can't be loved for who I am, I'll be loved for what I do. So Mm I was like, I am going to be a beast whatever I do whatever I touch I'm gonna to be a f-ing beast and everyone will see me everyone will notice me everyone will recognize me I'll be seen I'll be heard I'll be the best in the room at whatever I touch mm-hmm. it was just like my fire in my belly was to be loved but it wasn't like for me It was beloved loved for like what you look like what you do your success whether it's rugby whether it's medicine so I built up this egotistical cloak this cloak of armor to compensate for this feeling of not feeling enough. Mm. I built that up over a space of like 20 years and I did a bloody good job at it, mm. but it didn't leave me feeling any better. And so it was interesting. I was like, wow, now I understand. I just wanted to feel loved. And so um, the most special thing happened last year. I had um, you know, unveiled all of this to my mom and she didn't have an understanding. And, and she was like, wow, well, you know, like I, ne- I never expected you to forgive me for, for, you know, moving away, but it had to be done and um i was like no i forgave you Uh, you know immediately but we had this beautiful moment where she understood me more i understood her more and um you know i had conversations with my dad and my family and i just found this inner peace that was just like, wow, Wow. because I relinquished all of the hurt. I relinquished all of those things that I was holding on to and bottling up. And I just felt this real inner self-love for myself. And I was like, wow, I don't need to be any of these things. I don't need to have money. I don't need to have any of these things to be great. Mm -hmm. I'm just rock and roll because I'm me and I love me. And then I just found this massive peace inside myself. And I was like, wow, life has just become immeasurably better for having Mm -hmm. sat in the shit. Listening, going inside, trying to unpack hurt, sitting in it, bringing it to the surface, all of that childhood stuff you don't want to deal with. I was like, no, I'm going to bring it to the surface. I'm going to pull, you know, pull the cap off it, feel all that shit again, but I'm going to work through it this time properly. And I did it, and I just had this massive just turnaround, and it's been yeah blissful ever since.
2: That's called self awareness. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah,
0: so that whole ego thing, it's. It's funny because, you know, we were talking about this last week with my friends and, I'm, and and one of my best friends, Cam, who I live with, he's an absolute legend. And um, I was like, I know that I have a big ego. We're talking about this. And I was like, but I think you have to, like everyone's sort of anti-ego. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people are anti-ego. And I think you've just got to ask yourself when you feel your ego talking or about to talk, or you feel your ego about to react to something, I think you've just got to think to yourself, all right, is my ego in this moment going to be harmful for me? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to help? Sometimes someone might say, you can't do that. And it's going to be something which will be great for you if you take that challenge of your ego and go, actually, no, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And then you go and prove them wrong. And in, the, and, and in that time, you might start a business, so you might do something really productive. So that's mm. a healthy dose of ego. But someone might turn around and go, you're a wuss, you won't fight me. And then your ego goes, yeah, I'll fight you. And then you might get beat up and hurt your head. Mm. So it's like understanding your ego and trying to harness it and use it in the right ways. So I think, you know, for me, my ego is like a bulldog. I don't know what's there. But if there's a challenge and I really want that in a good way and it's gonna be good for me and the world and my why, I'll let the bulldog off the chain and let it go and get it. And then I just pull it back and I go, Oh, thank you, ego, you bought it to me. That's cool, nice. (laughs) We'll put you away now. So it's a healthy balance of understanding your ego.
2: That's so true. And like I just wanna thank you for being so vulnerable about that because it's hard to talk about childhood and, Mm. you know, understanding you were, you had this ego, or you were this person because of your childhood, mm, and mm. the fact that you pointed that out, it just goes to show, you know, what type of person you are. So,
0: gotta be vulnerable. I think. Well done to that. Yeah, thank you. I think it's, um, you know, sometimes I'm sitting there myself and I'm like, whoa, did I just tell that story to people? But I think, I think, you know, it's important to lead with vulnerability. I think we we live in a world where everyone puts on this this face you know we 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 live this this insta reality this simulation where um people like to depict that everything is fine on the surface and i just think that you know not Mm -hmm. everything isn't fine under the surface Mm -hmm. and i think what is best is to actually give people an understanding of hey it's actually okay to not be fine under the surface and if you go around all day and you depict this whole perfect environment that you live in and you depict this perfect personality, then you're not going to give any person next to you to sort of, you know, um, share a vulnerable moment with you. And, s- and that's when you're going to help people most. Mm-hmm. So to get vulnerable from people and to be able to help people, you've got to be vulnerable yourself.
2: And I think it's like knowing, I know this is a bit much, but the way that I would see it, see it is, it's knowing that you're not going to be around forever. Like your time is going to come, so you need to be able to be the best person you can and the most vulnerable and the most forward person possible throughout that life that you have mm-hmm. because in the end, we're not around forever and people tend to forget that. They go throughout life thinking they're going to be, you know, living forever. Mm-hmm. We, we die at some stage. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as they say, what is it? Uh, YOLO? So what yeah. they say, hashtag YOLO when I was like 18, like it's you only a, live yeah, life once, Yolo, yeah. you know? That's
0: a, that a big thing for a while. It was a, big hashtag.
2: It, was. it was a massive hashtag. I remember I was like, YOLO, YOLO. I was like, yeah. what? Um, yeah. So going into to that story, because that was like really deep and I love the fact that you shared that um, with Laser Clinics, I want to go back to that because it's such a big brand and something to really talk about as well. So can you talk about? When you were at one store or a couple stores, mm-hmm. how did Laser Clinics scale to where they are now with the brand that they have? Like how did the franchise model work um, and yeah. how did that come about? Like did you have to have somebody come in, experience, to, to be able to teach you guys? What was the idea? Was yeah. it demand?
0: I think it was demand, yeah. Um, but a great team. Like you, you, there was a you know really awesome smaller team, much smaller team. I think it was like a team of ten people at the time. Um, but Bobak, you know Boback, who was the guy who started Laser Clinics. He was just a visionary. He just he saw a hole in the market where you know people wanted the treatments that the celebrities got, but they couldn't afford it. So there was the demand there, but there wasn't anyone that could set the price low enough so more people could have it. So there wasn't the supply, and the people that were supplying it, generally doctors at the time, were supplying it at a huge cost. Mm-hmm. So it was always just going to stay that way. It was only going to be the rich and famous having it. So I think you know, from a from a a smart um, you know a smart approach would have been, and this is what I believe happened, is you had um great commercial agreements uh with you know suppliers and the people that were going to help you and he formed an alliance with the right people the right companies and they got on board and as a team expanded and then You know, there wasn't a thousand clinics in every city then. So it then became a, uh, you know, a notoriety to be like, whoa, actually I can go and get anti-wrinkle injectables. I can now go and get dermal fillers. I can go and have my legs lasered for $99. It used to be $300. So Mm. you then had students being able to get laser hair removal. You had, you know, know, people in their 20s being able to get um, injectable treatments and stuff that they couldn't get before because they couldn't afford it. And then boom, it just blew up. And Mm. then from there... The, the the demand was being met with supply mm-hmm. and it just it just went big. Really, really big.
2: And like laser clinics as a female I've used you guys many times.
0: Thank you very much for coming in and trusting us.
2: <laughs> um you guys don't use cheap materials as well, like you've got Candela ma- machines, mm. like for mm. people that don't know laser, that is like the, the ultimate elite machine to use mm. when doing laser, mm. Candela. Mm. So it's not like you're using like cheap machines to provide a cheap service. Yeah. You're, you're doing the most expensive stuff, but yeah. you're offering it um, at volume, yeah. right? Yeah, that's that. So.
0: So it's about, yeah, it's quality. You, you gotta, yeah. so, you know, what we're big on is offering the you know the best treatments in the safest ways possible in the safest hands so Mm -hmm. those you know our 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 nurses are all registered fully registered and trained Um, you know doctors we have a team of like three hundred doctors and nurses we have a medical board made up of myself and three dermatologists we've got a nurse council Um, you know so we've got this huge network and about over three thousand therapists and we've got this huge network of people that are constantly working together to ensure that whatever treatment we do is going to be amazing it's going to be used of leading products, the best products in the world or the best machines in the world. So we have a huge, you know, NPD, um, new product development team as well. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly working at refining, but also looking at new treatments, new technologies, innovating, but only bringing in the best. No appetite for something which isn't going to bring greatness to our patients. Because mm-hmm. We've got a, a database of about, you know, we do about three and a half million treatments a year. So we do so many wow. treatments. Yeah. So those treatments, you can't afford for them not to be great because people find out if they're not great. Yeah. So you can't take you can't take shortcuts on products. You can't take shortcuts on um, whatever machine you're using. You can't take shortcuts on training. You have to continue to deliver quality. Otherwise, you'll go from three and a half million treatments to three treatments. You know, it's Mm. word of mouth is huge. So you just have to keep pushing for that quality, and that's what we do.
2: I agree, but I also think Laser Clinics has a really strong brand that's why you guys did so well like your marketing mm. is sensational oh, like even great e- yeah. even on the storefronts mm. like you've got like 399 five treatments of laser and all this stuff like get one uh, buy one now and get one free and stuff like that so I think your marketing has been uh, massive and the reason why you've scaled so fast in the brand so can you talk us through I know you're not a marketing expert but can you talk us through why laser clinics did so well on a brand forefront?
0: Yeah, so um, Louise, who's our head of marketing, will be stoked to hear that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they they are fantastic. Our marketing team have just grown like, uh, you know, triple the number of people in the marketing team in the last couple of years so there's a huge um, Im- amount of importance you know that people need to understand one what's available to them mm-hmm. um but two to understand that we're the leaders we we lead with excellence and that all comes down to giving people that shopfront understanding giving people mm-hmm. um you know the the social media understanding so everything that comes through them is huge because if people don't know what we're offering then you know we, we're going to be doing treatments behind the doors that people have no understanding about. Mm. So in 2018, uh, what I think was really ballsy from the marketing team, and I, and I really liked how they, you know, met it with such um, commitment, is everyone was doing the glamorous, you know, three ninety nine, two ninety nine, and it was like the shop fronts were all looking similar. They were. Yeah. So Nicole, uh, she's a really good friend of mine. She helped out with Dance dance for Abilities. Love you, Nicole. Thank you for all your help. She um, took the ballsy idea of going monochromatic, so just black and white. And whenever we did a special, it would just be in gold. Everyone else had all these great grand colors, and all the shop fronts were just amalgamating and becoming the same. So it's like, well, how can we differentiate ourselves? Mm. So uh, she decided that it was going to be a good idea for us to go black and white. So we went black and white. All the shop fronts you'll notice are all black and white, but the sales and anything that we do that is like a special is in gold or in a sort of a shade of gold. So that's a point of differentiation, what I think was really, really cool.
2: And that worked well for you guys.
0: Worked really well. Yeah. And I think it's been great because it's, um, it's chic. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. You know, I think um, when there's so much color on so many shop fronts, I think it's a point of difference. I think yeah. It's really
2: cool. I agree. And it's so messy. I'm mm, sure. Yeah. Like I don't, really like how people advertise their sales a lot on the storefront. I think it looks really tacky. And to be honest, as a consumer, when I walk past, I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. They've got a sale. But if it looks tacky visually, I won't walk in because I'll just think that a lot of the things are on sale that are also tacky, <laughs> so I just yeah. wouldn't go in. Well, but gold yeah. and black, it's like luxury. It's, cool. it's yeah, like, it's oh, cool. okay, right, VIP. That's you know, it. glitz that's and it. glam. Yeah, so yeah.
0: that's a so cool. she, she did a great job, and the marketing team are just constantly pushing. You know, they're just, they are. They're doing remarkable things. And I this, see all their stuff. Yeah, I love they're doing a great what job. You guys do.
2: But without marketing, do you think laser clinics wouldn't be the brand they are today? Like, if you didn't push down on the marketing. When you did?
0: Um, Look, I think it's a whole, you know, it sounds cliche, but it is a team front on everything. Mm. You know, if the IT team didn't perform well, Laser Clinics wouldn't be where they were. If the medical team didn't, if the marketing team didn't, if the operations team didn't, Mm. it's a unified front, you know, and what I think is, is, what what is great about Laser Clinics is there is that real togetherness from everyone. The teams are are really quite closely linked. Um, You know, we all work under the same um, head office and... You know, the culture is just building and becoming better and better, which is great. So uh, you sort of just feel like you've got each other's backs. And and that's not easy to do when you have so many clinics and so many different people involved. So, yeah, I'd like to say it's just getting better and better. But the marketing team have had a, yeah, have a, had a huge role in that for sure.
2: Well, their brand's amazing, as I keep repeating, Thank but you. it's truly amazing. I love what you guys do. Um, so going into the franchise model, um, it's super tough for, for companies. And I think a lot of companies think about it. They're like, I have so many people reaching out. Like there's so many talent coming to certain brands are like, can we work for you? It's like, no, buy a franchise mm. you know and that's like an offer you can do and a lot of people do uh really well in that realm mm. um i know a few few guys that do consumer stuff and they do super well like laser clinics so what are the five most important attributes uh for a successful franchise <laughs> and like this is kind of broad Question, right? It's you great, question. This down. Yeah, it's a
0: great question. Great question. It's a
2: great question. I got the notes on
0: this one because it's such a good question. I because wanted to nail it.
2: You're essentially like hiring employees. Like it's a part of the family and the growth of Laser Clinic, yeah. so you can't have like a little rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. even though they have the funds to pay up front, yeah. but. Yeah. they're essentially a rookie and they can jeopardise your reputation. So what are the five things that you would see or laser clinics to uh, find somebody to run a franchise?
0: Yeah, so for me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty green in the game of franchising and I'm, I'm learning every day as I go. I think um, it's one is about like, you know, like you what you're just alluding to, it's about recruiting the right people um, and just because you have dollars in your back pocket and and the keenness doesn't necessarily make you the best fit. Um, so it's about getting the right people on board because it is an extension of the family for sure and um it's about sharing the same why so if someone comes in and they're just in it for money, then yeah, they might be fantastic at some things. But then when it comes to being a patient-centric focused business, then they might not be necessarily as empathetic as you want them to be. So it's about sharing that same why and understanding that we're in this to deliver the best treatments to our patients in the safest way, safest ways possible, in the safest hands, and then money will just come secondary to that. If you continue to focus on patient-centric um, efforts, then money will just come secondary to that. So people have to understand that same why and be aligned on that front um so that just takes a great recruitment process and we have a phenomenal recruitment team um you know really good um network growth team and and those are those things that they focus on so whether it be in new zealand whether it be in clapham high street london Mm -hmm. wherever you're opening you want that same service delivered you want people to walk in and go yeah i feel really at home here i feel like i'm seen i'm heard i'm understood because the business and, and the cosmetic industry is too big now for you not to make people feel amazing as well as look amazing. So you gotta have franchise partners that are on board with that. People wanna leave feeling like they're glowing inside as well as looking like they're glowing. That's 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 a differentiator. Otherwise people just feel like a statistic and they'll they'll go somewhere else. So you can always find better.
2: It's true. Mm-hmm. I think now, uh I think, you know, well, not necessarily now, but for me, I don't necessarily look at the dollar figure anymore because I I truly believe in what you pay for is what you get. Mm. So even if Laser Clinics is a cheaper price to, let's say, Ella Rouge, I I mean, I don't really know the prices, but let's just say hypothetically speaking, if Laser Clinics have given me a better customer service and and done well to me versus Ella Rouge, I would definitely pay two hundred to three hundred dollars more on a treatment just because of the way they make me feel yeah, when I'm there. It's true. based on how you feel and you Absolutely. remember people based on how you make them feel. So oh, yeah.
0: I was reading something this morning we actually we don't memorize thoughts, we memorize emotions so if when we think back to something that happened, those things that stay imprinted in our brains, yeah. they're imprinted in our brains because of the emotion, the intensity of how we felt it. So if you come out of a clinic and you're like, wow, I connected with that therapist. Wow, I connected with that doctor or that nurse or that franchise partner or that manager. Yeah. You remember that emotion that you felt and you want more of that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being, being humans that are emotionally driven, you're gonna go back to the place where you felt best.
2: It's true. So, what's next for you?
0: Um, in terms of the next, the next, um, the next piece of the project. answer to the question, what's oh, happening in your okay.
2: world? Like, tell me, like, so what's happening? I
0: have an incredibly exciting project that I've just jumped on board with, um, and everyone at Laser Clinics can you know, be at ease. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm, <laughs> He's I'm, leaving I'm, you. No, <laughs> I love it too much. <laughs> um, I have joined a board with a, a company called Health Crest. Okay. And, you know, talking about why, what I love, um, and, and Dougie Fruin, uh, he, he's an absolute. Um, Legend. Legend, weapon, just, but a beautiful, beautiful human being, you know, and. You, you get set up invariably with meetings um, with people to you know hopefully try and help and connect. And um, my first question that I run through in my head is you know why does this person want how why does this person want to do what they're doing? Mm. And and it came with DFA as well. People would um, sort of get in touch to try and do their own DFA, but if I could sense that it wasn't for the right reason, there wasn't going to be any help coming from me. So Dougie, um, you know, beautiful human being as i was saying, um, he. Um, had to basically, um, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he had to help with his dad's illness for a couple of years. And, and he dropped out of, um, you know, it was really high up in HSBC banking, really going incredibly well. And what I love about his humility is he he dropped out of that whole grind. He dropped out of that, you know, chasing to the top Mm -hmm. to look after his dad one-to-one for two years, whilst his mum, who works as a nurse. So a carer. Yeah, so he worked as a carer for his dad, whilst his um, his mum basically worked as a nurse every day to keep the family going. And so in that time, he saw the need for far better care, far better care for people that were either, um, disabled or hurt in some way or ill. Um, and then got more of an understanding through, you know, royal commissions and inquests and stuff to the gaps that we had in the aged care facility situation Mm -hmm. in Australia. And so he took that why of wanting to help and improving people to have, you know, improving the opportunities for people to have more access to good care and, better quality of life in their in their final quarter of the year and combined his understanding of um you know investments and and investment groups and, and banking and and these sorts of things and he's- Brought the two together to start Healthcrest, where we're basically going to invest in aged care facilities and do everything we can to just lift the capacity, lift the delivery. So you know, nurses are going to have um, more of a focus on how they can have um, you know better support, better resources, so they're not fatigued. Mm. Um, how we can do everything we can to help cure loneliness, you know, which is one of the biggest contributors to death in the world is loneliness. Mm. So how can we help the residents at, at the aged care facilities have more connection, which is huge in a time of COVID as well well because I've had such disconnection from everyone
2: absolutely so how
0: can we help these residents have a better life and then um, and then continue to just build 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 and um, try and hopefully um, close some of the gaps that we have in the aged care world
2: so the last question uh, which is what I like to ask to most of my guests not everyone I like to ask to most of them if Mark Zuckerberg the Mm. CEO and the founder Mm. of Facebook if he come to you and he said Jonathan I've got to take the day off Mm. and you've got control over all the socials which like 7 billion people essentially watch you've got control of the socials Uh, I'm going to give it to you I want you to do one post that's going to reach billions of people across the world what is the one post you would post and why?
0: Yeah that's a really really good question Um, I think I would encourage people to just, you know, like you saw from me today, just to be more vulnerable, you know, just be more vulnerable and lead with a, with a place from your heart, not from your head or from your ego, because, you know, you look, you turn on TV or you go on social media and. We're just flooded with this fictitious world, which is not real. And we live there for 160 times a day when we look at our phone. So what i would try and do is try and turn that space into a more real, heartfelt, vulnerable space and encourage people to just post more stuff, which is real.
2: That's amazing that you yeah. put that forward, like you care about people Absolutely. and how they, some people actually answer in, I would advertise my business. <laughs> And you're like, I just want to help people. Yeah,
0: business would come secondary to that. I'm pretty sure, you know. Yeah, um, which is amazing. People want to see people who care, and yeah, it's for me. That's like I said at the start of the podcast. My why is is to help people, and I have my sister and my family to thank for that. They've built that into me.
2: And your why is much bigger than business.
0: It's much bigger than my own footprint as well. It's just trying Mm -hmm. to do something which is is not about me. And your life gets it's amazing. What I didn't say at the time, but when I was feeling so low in that period, the minute I had that dance for Abilities, that well, we had that dance for Abilities that first night, it was like medicine. It just, it just had such a powerful impact on me. So I think if, yeah, if you're ever feeling really, really low, actually go out and do something for someone else. And it's amazing what it does for you. It's like a medicine for you.
2: That's a really good takeaway, actually, for somebody. Yeah, because there's lots of people that feel lonely and empty inside. Even though they're doing amazingly in their business, but they feel empty, like something's missing. It's like, what is that? You know, so where can people find you on socials what's your handles like if people want to reach out um, and ask you a question
0: yeah so if uh, you were on Instagram where hopefully we're posting the real us um, Dr Jonathan Hopkirk um, is just my handle on there and um, then Dance for Abilities follow Dance for Abilities as well and see all the beautiful posts that we're putting out there Um, and then that's the same on Facebook as well um, Dance for Abilities
2: cool Thank you so much for coming on Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I know. It was great fun. Awesome.
1: (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for Wake Up With Focus. We'd like to say a special thank you to BizPay, our main podcast sponsor. In the current economic climate, maintaining good cash flow is a priority for all businesses. BizPay gives companies the opportunity to hire the professional service providers they need now and pay later by splitting an invoice into four easy monthly installments. For more information on how BizPay can help you improve your cash flow, grow your business, or attract new clients, please visit bizpay.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And for more tips and tricks on how to propel your digital presence to success, follow the Focus Group on our socials via at Focus Recruitment and at Focus Media Original on Instagram. Connect with us on LinkedIn at Focus Group and at Focus Media or get in touch directly belinda at focus.com.au.